You are listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. And this over here, this is Alan Smith. Let's get very stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. Alan, I'm afraid of snakes. Uh-oh. A recent development? Uh, well, I, I'm afraid specifically of uh, snakes who play at um, a ballpark with a retractable roof in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, everyone, n- no, now that we are no longer invincible in the ninth inning, everyone is scary, even um, middling <laughs> snake-based teams. Mm-hmm. Snake-based. You know, we had a phrase that we used to use uh, sometime on this program, sometimes on this program in the past, uh, and that phrase was snake bitches. Um, we used it, I believe, most regularly to refer to the uh, 2014 Kansas City Royals. <laughs> what exactly? It sort of connotes, um, it connotes like a um, uh, a sneakiness, a... Um, yes, a, a a lack of 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 upright um um positive forthrightness yes um you know you know like a like a conniving snake uh a, a sort of slithering um inauthentic kind of personality that uh strikes unexpectedly implants venom in the veins, and then disappears into the underbrush. So do we know anything about Arizona? I know they used to be, like, they, they started the year as as on on fire and have fallen off. Are we scared of them right now or no? Um, I don't think we are nearly as scared of them as we would have been in, say, May or June. Um, I think they, they do have Corbin Carroll, uh, who is a certified star fast um very fast uh hits for power um he's kind of who we want colton Kowser to become <laughs> great <laughs> um has amazing hair uh like i would say him and there's a guy for the pirates who also has incredible hair <laughs> like just like sleek slick like like rivals dean kramer whoa, uh, in whoa. terms of of hair game um, and, and I believe lets it, fl- you know, like Dean usually pitches with the man bun. Corbin Carroll, like just he just let it, lets letting it all hang the out. locks flow. Um, so that's something I think, you know, that's going to be important to keep an eye on here in this series. <laughs> important, important scouting report information. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm revealing a little bit how much attention I pay to the <laughs> NL West. Um, but this is the thing, right? Like, for so many years, the NL West has basically just been the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for a little while this year, it looked like it was going to be a three-way fight between the Dodgers and the Padres and the Diamondbacks. It has once again become just the Dodgers. Um, <laughs> but for a minute, for a minute, it was, it sad, was a three-way fight. Sad situation fight. out there in San Diego. Confusing. We've also, we've also uh, I do think, need to keep an eye on uh, Zach Gallen. Of the okay. Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, let me just uh, take a quick look uh, at his recent rate stats. Um, but just to say, um, 
when it comes to Corbin Carroll, we're talking about um, a man with a triple slash of 279, 361, 519, 23 home runs, 41 stolen bases. Whoa. Um, Those are Ronald Lacuna Jr. numbers. Yeah. uh, This guy is a lock, I think, for NL MVP. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, NL Rookie of the Year. But it should be noted that uh, his production since June sort of mirrored, it's sort of like an as, as goes Corbin Carroll, so goes the Diamondbacks type situation. Um, he, uh, since the calendar flipped to July, has become, uh, I would say, not quite league average, but um, mortal at least. Much closer to league average as the Diamondbacks themselves have. Um, come back to earth a little bit. I will also say that former Orioles prospect Christian Walker is a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I remember him. He has, for a couple of years now, been, um, uh, is this weird to say, sort of the guy we hoped Trey Mancini would become. <laughs> <laughs> Too you soon. Know, solid average, uh, good power, high on base percentage, but a little yeah. bit more consistent. Obviously, Trey had some other factors that he was dealing with. <laughs> I'm not saying this against Trey Mancini as a human. Just talking about his offensive output. Well, uh, so we have that to look forward to. Um, the the series in Arizona, which uh, based on the fact that it is um, starting every game slightly past my bedtime, I will watch zero minutes of um (laughs) but uh let's look back on the week that was um let's look back on the with a little bit of uh for me this last week was um the the negatives were what i will remember from the past week but sam do you have any positive reflections from the last week of the baltimore orioles I do, um, and it's that we scored runs. Um, that was nice for the f- that was nice. for the first time in in a minute. We we like put a, put a couple nine spots on the board, um, and it you know if we are going to make the kind of run, I can't decide yet, Smith, if it's safe to talk about the idea of October baseball, even though you know the trend lines are positive, and we would really have to cock things up at this point too. <laughs> No, I think I think October it. baseball is uh, well within. I, I don't think that's a jinx at this point. I think that the numbers yeah. have ticked over that. I think it is closing in on a statistical impossibility that we are not at least the third wild card. Now, um, mentioning anything <laughs> about like the division, uh, let's not let's not let's not put anything on on those um, karmic scales if we can help it. Yeah. And our last regular season game of the season is technically on October 1st. So no matter what, we're going to be playing October baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we just hope for more than three games. (laughs) If we want to play other kinds of baseball than our last regular season game against the Red Sox on October 1st in October, um, being a superstitious person is a very strange experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then 
we are we are going to have to I mean, you know, losing Felix Bautista is terrible and devastating. Um, positives. This is the positives though, for the week. Positives for the week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Oh god. Um although can I can I just say it is amazing <laughs> the degree to which you and I and apparently the entirety of Orioles Twitter is capable <laughs> with a record of 83, what are we, 83 and 49 right now? Yeah. 83 and 50? Yep. Um, We're somehow, <laughs> somehow convinced that we're a bad team. Yes. Like, yes, I am, I am convinced we're a bad team. When I think all of us would say that last year we were a good team, we've already won as many games as we won last year. <laughs> we could go, oh, and the rest of the way. Yep, and be at minimum as good as we were last year when we were good. Better and yet, we are convinced one, we are bad. We are, we're already one game better than last season. There, there you go. But not up here in the old brain. <laughs> nope, nope. So anyway, anyway, let, let's let's imagine anyway. what what would need to happen for us to have a meaningful October. Let's put it that way. Well, the the key to not having the loss of Felix Bautista derail the entire season is to not need saves. No save situations. <laughs> and or not need as many saves, let's say, with you know, to not be too dramatic. Um and when you score nine runs, usually, and we're not talking about the game this past Wednesday, uh, <laughs> when Kyle Gibson came back to Earth until our next segment of the show. Um, because it's also tempting to say when you score five runs, it should be enough to win, but we're not talking about Wednesday. Um, when you score nine runs, you don't need a closer. Uh And, Uh uh, probably. And this is a team that when it's at its best can put crooked numbers on the scoreboard. Um, and when we do that, it, that plus the six man rotation and the way most of the starters, God damn it, Gibson, have been pitching. <laughs> um, it it is a refreshing reminder that like this team is not built around Felix Bautista. He was one of our most powerful weapons, but he was not the defining factor of the 2023 Orioles. And I think some of the offense that we showed reminded the fan base uh, that we are capable of this week was an important reflection of that. Yeah, uh, completely agree. Um, I think that my um, sort of microcosm um, of all the things that you're talking about um, is the the week that was for um, Mr. Santander. Um, mm-hmm. He's, uh, I think we can say, even if his career ended tomorrow... Santander is pretty much the like greatest rule five draft pick of all time. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, um, uh, oh God, who's the, the unsinkable Joey, uh, Ricard. What was his name? Joey Ricard. The, uh, that's, that's Joey, Rickard. Joey Ricard erasure. And I won't stand for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, in the last, uh, you know, week. Yeah, he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he hit two home runs, three home runs in the last week, maybe. 
Uh, yeah. It's, you know, laced a bunch of doubles, been getting on. Uh, he had uh, f- four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 RBI in the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, mm-hmm. and did you, have you seen his um, bases loaded for the season statistics? Now I know oh, that. I is, have not. I know that that is um, some, some uh, very small sample size action, but he's something like, Five for eight with eleven RBI. Uh, wow! Is is it's he and O'Hearn are just like they they are so good with the bases loaded. Um, yeah, he's my he he I he's been good for a while, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. he I guess he was slumping a little bit near the end, beginning of August, at the end of July, and when he kicks back on. Um, if either we need we need some version of Mountcastle, uh, Santander, and O'Hearn to be red hot for this offense to 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 keep ticking over, and when two of them it's are true. hot at the same time, Mountcastle and uh, Santander being this last week, it's very exciting. And when three of them are hot at the same time, we're unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it, this is going to sound like I'm fixating on sort of a minor thing, but um, I can't. I think for almost the entire season, you know, once he had a meaningful enough number of at-bats, so basically since May, I don't know that um, Santander's batting average has dropped below 250. And that threshold, uh, him being above that threshold, because previously in his career, you know, he's always had power, but there's been so much strikeout in his game um, that he would be more, he was tended to be more like a 230, 240 hitter. And yeah. him t- ticking it up to 250, I think, has been. He's at, he's at 260 right now. Yeah, that has been a, an extreme difference maker for yeah. this team. And I think the, uh, this is true of a number of players on the team, but I've noticed it most, I think, with Santander. The improvement in his plate discipline has just been. So wonderful to watch. I can't count the number of times that he's been in a one-two hole and has worked the count back to three and two. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and he and he was he was um you know mid-2021. My feeling in when he was with with two strikes is Chris Davis, like he's going fishing for the next pitch, regardless of where it is, and like he's he's gonna strike out. And that I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, and we've seen this improvement with a couple of guys on the team, I think. Um, Mountcastle as well, I would say. But uh, I think it's most pronounced with Santander, and I think you can draw a direct line between that and the overall elevation of the offense on yeah. on this year's team. His on-base percentage is uh, 15 points higher than any point <laughs> at any other season in his career. Uh, he's mm-hmm. on-basing at 330. He's slugging at 495. I mean, those are th- those are um, numbers that you start to build an offense around, uh, and it's really exciting that he's like, you know, maybe the fourth player that we're relying on right now, maybe the fifth, depending on the day, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to be our 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 offensive engine. Um, yeah, I, he had a good week, and it was it, it was fun to be reminded that Tony Taters can can still mash. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we've already been talking about negative things, but, um, 
what are what are some of the things on the the other side of the ledger for you, Smith? Uh, what what was most notably um, question mark inducing for you this week? I think that the Bautista injury um, has already been in the last seven days dissected and trisected and bisected to the place that I no longer have much interesting to say about it. Um, mm-hmm. I will mourn the feeling that we get as a team, nine innings to score runs and the opposition gets eight. Um, that was mm-hmm. nice. I, I enjoyed that feeling. Uh, and, you know, I think other <laughs> right. players what does can that give us some kind and, of uh, <laughs> advantage or something? Some sort of statistical <laughs> advantage that I haven't totally nailed down. Um, my bad this week is uh, actually the um, Los, Angel- Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, oh God! And whatever the hell that organization is doing, but I mean, you know, people got really mad at the Braves a couple years ago for buying at the deadline. No, they didn't get mad at the Braves. They got mad at the team selling to the Braves um, for being like, mm-hmm. "You guys gave them those good players for nothing, and they went on to win the World Series." That's bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are the Angels doing? Where is their competitive balance <laughs> that they can just sort of like dump that level of talent onto the open market available for freezies um, mm-hmm. to bolster? And now it turns out they only bolstered teams from Ohio. Uh, but like, that's a fairly <laughs> significant thing for the Reds. I mean, the Reds got deeper um, mm-hmm. and that's a, and that's a so- potential playoff team. Yeah, and I don't count the Guardians out in the AL Central either. That's right. That's right. If, if the Guardians then go on for a push and the Guardians Angels are the reason that that happens, like, that's some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I did not, I hadn't clocked the change to the waiver rules um, that is creating this situation. And it really neuters the intensity of the trading deadline. I sort of feel like a lot of baseball fans and maybe even some people in the in the baseball press didn't totally register how different the rules were this year because a lot of the players who were put on waivers now and are now changing teams, these are impact guys, the kinds of people who there would have been a lot more intense bidding around at the actual trading deadline. Some of whom moved at the actual trading deadline. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird year to be Lucas Gilito. What a weird year. Um, But, uh, you know, the idea that there can then be this other round where it's, you know, depending how you look look at it, like way lower stakes or way higher stakes, free for all kind of mayhem on the waiver wire just like a month after the the trade deadline is like, I feel like we as a baseball nation have not quite gotten the balance on this right yet. Yeah, no, it's confusing. And I also think that like, if this is going to continue to be the rule, then they need to go take a page from fantasy baseball, um, which is if you make a waiver claim, then you are automatically dropped to the bottom of the waiver list for subsequent waiver claims. Because it appears mm-hmm. like, you know, basically the Guardians got first shot at every single one of these guys. And then as soon yeah, as exactly. they passed on them, then Cincinnati had a shot at every single one of these guys, which doesn't like. Assuming that there will be in the future teams that are basically doing like 
extraordinary salary dumps um, right before playoff rosters solidify. Uh, like we have to find a better way to divvy up that talent or we just have to like make it much more punitive on teams like the angels so that that's not a thing that, that they benefit from doing because this is like, it's really ridiculous. And you know, it, 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 the speed at which it has ramifications, like the guardians kick off a series today against our chief rival. Like, will those, <laughs> will, you know, will, will that matter? Like, will, uh, you know, pitchers make a difference in that series. If they do, Tampa Bay has every right to be pretty pissed that, like, that they were, you know, what they, they are a few games better than Cleveland in the record column. Therefore, they get <laughs> their their like nearest chaser gets bolstered to this level. It does not sit well with me. Um, yeah, and I say that fully acknowledging that. Um, it would sit a lot better with me if the Orioles were the third wild card chaser and had gotten to get all those players. Like I, I, I hear the hypocrisy in my own um, protestations because we happen to be the team. Like if this was, if this had happened last year, the Orioles would have been the team to get all these players. Um, so sure, sure. <laughs> I acknowledge that this and is also- a little bit uh, <laughs> backseat driving, but still. Yeah, well, and also we have to say, you know, I mean, look, Kudos to the Guardians for doing what they... I mean, they're just playing by the rules, even though the rules are very weird. And if it makes the AL Central race even weirder than... I mean, it hasn't even really been a race, you know? Like, it's basically just been the Twins being like, what is a baseball? (laughs) We will mediocre our way into first place, yeah. Yeah, and all the other teams in the division, like, not even showing up. Kudos to the Guardians, but... um, uh, the Angels, I award you no points, uh, and may God have mercy on your soul. So that was terrible, <laughs> terribly done. What are you guys doing? There's some, you yeah, have, what, ugh, just, just you atrocious. Have been condemned by Alan Smith. Um, no, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's totally, it's totally bizarre. Um, and for you, I sir, guess my, my negative for the week would be, um, I know it's sort of an obvious choice, but Kyle Gibson, because mm. um, over Felix you know, Batista, we're both we're both passing on our um, potential CY Cy Young closer uh, going down with uh, potentially Tommy John's uh, surgery as not the worst thing yeah. that happened this week. All right, I'm, I mean, I did it well, too. <laughs> it's just it's just that that's such a well. Part of it is that I just don't want to think about it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, but the other part of it is, you know, it, it just feels like one of those things where I, what are, what is there to say? You know, yeah. what is there to say? It's just terrible. Um, and it makes me really scared about, you know, the biggest difference maker, I think, in Grayson Rodriguez's rise to his true level since he came back from the minors is that he's throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs with movement. Um, and like the run the the left to right run on his fastball since he came back uh, at that velocity is untouchable, and the way that it allows him to strike out both left-handed and right-handed batters is fantastic. But the list of pitchers who throw a hundred miles an hour who avoid—I don't even want to say it out loud—certain mm-hmm. <laughs> types of outcomes. It 
it's not a long list. And, I, you know, I, I know Grayson is young, and uh, but Felix is young too. And it's this is the devil's bargain that we have made in the modern game is we have gotten to a place where the premium for pitchers is how hard can you throw? How quickly can you develop the ability to throw that hard and rack up as much dominance as you can and earning potential so that you can get a long-term deal before you seemingly... I mean, look at what just happened with Steven Strasburg, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. This is a guy who's, you know, had a potentially Hall of Fame career snuffed out um, by injury. And I don't know. It's just, it's just it terrifying that that's where there's a lot of, it, like, knowing how to pitch in a sustainable way, is, there's just not as much of a premium on it as, as there once was. Now it's like, how quickly can you come up and throw triple digits until your arm gets hurt? And, I, and you do feel, especially for someone like Bautista, who, um, came out of nowhere, essentially, like was an unheralded, uh, you know, what it was 24 months ago, um, to like, he, uh, you want for him as a person for that devil's bargain to have lasted just a little bit longer, because if it lasts just a little bit longer, then he gets the bag. And what I feel the worst for, for Bautista is like, he didn't even complete the breakout season Mm -hmm. to allow him to sign the contract, which would then make (laughs) the years of of shoulder pain and rehab that he now has to go do a little bit more worthwhile. I think he's still, I think he's sort of uh, Mm pre-bag in his career earnings. Um, So, you know, we haven't, we still have not heard the worst news from Bautista, like they could, they, they, but it does doesn't sound like doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say, it is very interesting that this many days has gone by have gone by since the injury, and we st- you know usually with stuff like this, the pitcher grabs the arm, they come out of the game, the early on indications the are table three days later. Yeah, we're like it, you know they just kind of rip the bandaid off, and they're like, yep, it's UCL, it's Tommy John, he'll see you in a, in a little over a year. And that has not happened here, so I, I don't really know what to take away from that. Yeah. Um, I will say, I don't think um, uh, this is somewhat relevant to this conversation. Um, John Allen means five innings, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts, was hitting low 90s on the, uh, on the gun in Norfolk yesterday. So, um, you know, whether or not he can return to his dominant self in the majors remains to be seen. I'm excited for what he might bring to the Orioles in September. Um, don't worry, Bautista. There is hope um, that you can you can uh, go through that whole process and and return to being somewhat somewhat of a of a valuable commodity in this uh, weird weird thing we call professional baseball. And means is going to be an interesting thing to watch because, you know, he in a way sort of contradicts what I was just saying because he's not really a power pitcher, Mm. you know, like he's not a super high velo guy. He's a guy who like nobody even really ever thought of as a top pitching prospect and has when he's been able to pitch uh, mostly, you know, done it via guile. Um, And yet he also dealt with... um, 
like yeah arm surgery um in spite of the fact that he is not right it's definitely some cocktail of um velocity and also um you know um uh innings total innings pitched Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dean kramer dean kramer isn't that who you said kyle gibson i'm sorry kyle gibson dean kramer's fine we're pro we're pro dean (laughs) Dean kramer Yo, Dean Kramer is um, D- Dean Kramer. Well, I'll I'll get to that in a second because uh, that you have you have anticipated my my big idea conversation. Okay, but just to say with Gibson, I mean, we can really just sort of effortlessly effortlessly. I would not say effortless is the right adjective for the Baltimore Ons <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and why should it be effortfully? Why should it be transfer effortfully? We will effortfully segue uh, via Kyle Gibson into our next conversation. I was going to say, you know, Kyle Gibson, I I think the last two Kyle Gibson starts are the Kyle Gibson story in a nutshell. He goes eight innings of lights out baseball, helped by some clutch defensive plays. Um, But what pitcher goes eight innings without being helped by some clutch defensive plays uh, in one start and then the next time out um, just gives up a billion runs and can't keep the ball out of the middle of the zone without much movement. Um, He has undoubtedly and inarguably been exactly what we needed him to be, stabilizing veteran presence, innings eater, positive influence in the clubhouse. Good culture guy. All of these things. But we are talking about the potential of meaningful October baseball, and you need three studs to start games in playoff series. He ain't one. Um, And he ain't one. So the question I would put to you, Alan, is, you know, I think at this point, based on recent performance, I feel pretty good about running Grayson Rodriguez out there. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty good about running Kyle Bradish out there. In that third slot, I think I'm going Dean Kramer over Kyle Gibson. Agreed. Um, and and I think for a couple reasons. One, uh, I think that um, the highs are a little higher. So, uh, mm-hmm. like, the potential for, like, a real sort of shutdown sort of a thing is, is higher with Dean um, than, than Gibson at, at this point. And I think also, um, I think that Gibson fits fairly nicely as uh, the sort of professional arm who, if any of those three starters get rattled early in a must-win playoff game, you can bring him and or Tyler Wells in as sort of like a second starter um, to reset after two innings and not uh, get too far. Like... The, the 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 speed of playoff hooks in the last couple playoffs has gone way way up you know like yeah mm-hmm. you, you allow mm-hmm. a couple base runners and all of a sudden you're out and i mm-hmm. and so i think that like there the the interesting thing about the three starters mentality in in um sort of professional or or playoff baseball right now is like I don't think people are paying enough attention to the three next pitchers because <laughs> uh, I yeah. feel like it's it's becoming they're becoming sort of like more and more bullpen or committee type games where you need a lot of good arms um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just in case you don't have 
three um, Max Scherzers on your on your on your team. Um, so I feel like yeah, I feel like Gib- Gibson has the best potential of almost anybody to be kind of the the break glass of in case of emergency. Hopefully we don't need you, but it's good to have you here. Um, guy there. And I think, you know, I know this is uh, wildly optimistic, but I think that Tyler Wells should be the fourth starter if we need a fourth starter in the playoffs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know. I was not prepared for that. Over Jack Flaherty? Yeah. Well, no, probably not over Jack Flaherty. But like, I don't know, like, like Wells had, I think he got tired, but like, Mm-hmm. He had the lowest whip of anybody in the American League for yes. four solid months. That's like, true. That's, that's true. the kind of guy you want. I mean, maybe you maybe you want him in innings three, four, and five. So maybe he's not a starter. But like, mm-hmm. like if he can be uh, limit all damage, limit all base runners, except for an occasional uh, solo home run, you know assuming the Orioles offense can do anything at all, he's somebody I want to see meaningful minutes in the playoffs, especially assuming he has rested his arm somewhat. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you're totally right that meaningful minutes from Tyler Wells, I would venture to say, is a necessity if we're going to make any kind of run in that still entirely hypothetical (laughs) and impossible to predict scenario. Yeah. Um. Well, one last thing I wanted to uh, say to folks, if I may, Alan Smith, is um, I mentioned on the broadcast last week that I had been working on a documentary about, uh, among other things, Mr. John Miller, the Mm -hmm. former uh, radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles. How did we fuck that one up? We know exactly (laughs) how we did. Please don't leave, Kevin. (laughs) Um, but I, I made this, this documentary about radio play by play and why it matters and why it holds such a special place in our hearts. And I talked to John Miller, I talked to him and it blew up my head. It was the coolest experience I've ever had. And if that's not enough, and I really don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I, I just can't believe that I got to have this happen. I also talked in person to Fred Manfra who was right next to John in the booth for many of the years that John was here, and to Ray's broadcaster, Andy Freed, who, folks may not be aware, grew up in Baltimore as an Orioles fan and used to improvise radio broadcasts in his childhood bedroom (laughs) um, with, you know, featuring the exploits of John Lowenstein and Al Bumbry and, and other folks. And um, I got to not only talk to Andy in the broadcast booth at Tropicana Field, which was cool. They were building a Christmas tree while it was happening. Um, That doesn't come up in the piece, but uh, that's just a fun factoid. Um, But you get to hear the actual recordings that Andy made from when he was 12 in this piece. Um, And it was just one of the most extraordinary things I've ever gotten to do. And... Uh, if it's okay with folks, I was thinking perhaps at the end of this episode, I would play the first five minutes of that piece, which is called The Good Company. And um, if it's intriguing to you, if you like it, uh, I would um, humbly request that you go over to the Sports Explains the World feed, wherever you're listening to this, um, 
and listen to the full piece, which is again called Good Company. Which in turn um, will hopefully whet your appetite a little bit for Sam and I once again attempting to call a live game, uh, which oh, we're yes. trying to do later in this season. You'll see why if you listen to the entire piece. Um, we feel that perhaps we are slightly more bolstered in our ability to do that uh, seven years and significant wisdom and experiences later um, from our first attempt, which <laughs> some of you may in fact even remember. Yes. And uh, which, you know, had really at the end of the day, isn't this all about, isn't this all about, uh, Making the effort, in the words of of John Miller, as you will hear me say in Good Company, swing hard in case you hit it. You know what I'm saying? And exactly, exactly. Well, um, Alan, there is one last thing that I need to bring up here before we sign off for the day. Even more um, important than the great John Miller. I know, I know, it's hard to believe that anything could be, but it's also undeniable that this is. Um, a trenchant question for our time that I can only hope you have the answer to um, because it's it may well hold the key to the future of the Republic. Um, and that question is this. What would you call a uh, former Orioles prospect, Henry Yerudia, um, when he is... Uh, Engaging in um, a a careful and meticulous uh, regimen of training to become a ballet dancer. Ooh. Um. My 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 brain goes to Black Swan, but I can't find oh, a way no. to land that plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Don't worry. That is that is not the direction I'm going. <laughs> okay, great. Um, Although, who would be the Mila Kunis to Henry Yerudia's Natalie Portman? <laughs> Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> who would be? <laughs> um, wolf. I'm gonna have to spend a lot more time on that one. Maybe we'll we'll come we'll circle back to that next week. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is it someone wearing a tuturudia? What? (laughs) Alan, you've done it, my friend. (laughs) You have done it. Pulling out of the nosedive (laughs) at the last minute. Phew. Phew. Man, this is why, this is why... More people should listen to Alan Smith so, on matters um, that affect the Republic. Baltimoreans, who would be the uh, <laughs> Mila Kunis to Henry Rudy's Natalie Portman? Answers coming to you in one week. Go O's. <laughs> Farewell. Baltimoreans. When I hear John Miller's voice... I smell Entenmann's crumb coffee cake. The outfield swings around toward right. The infield backed up all the way around. The pitch sinker is low, ball one. It's one of my earliest memories 
My dad is carrying groceries through the living room of our old house. I'm playing with the frayed fabric of our blue love seat, waiting patiently for the moment when I get my special Sunday treat. A small square of coffee cake, a root beer, and a seat at the table across from my dad. He'll sip his coffee and rest his chin in his hand. He'll gaze out the window just above the counter where a paint-spattered radio rattles every time John Miller's voice hits the soothing bass notes that he seems to find at the end of every sentence. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep to left. It's a fly ball, it looks like. Wait a minute. Back to the wall. And this one is gone. The previous I'm 12 now, and we're in the living room of our new house. It's Sunday afternoon again, and I'm supposed to be up in my room, finishing my book report on the day of the Triffids. Last night, my dad found a bag of weed in the backyard, and this morning he asked if it was mine. It wasn't, and when I told him that, he believed me. We didn't talk about it any more than that. We didn't really have to. He knows I'm not the kind of kid who stashes pot in the yard— I'm the kind of kid who likes to sit with him and Chuck Thompson, the legendary voice of Baltimore, who has just come out of retirement to broadcast Sunday afternoon games. I don't know, but this Oriole Ball Club is just something you have to see to believe. And the crowds that attend our ball games here in Baltimore have to be just the most enthusiastic baseball fans I have ever seen in Baltimore, and I've been here since 1949. I study my dad's face as he sits cross-legged in front of that same battered radio, the baseball radio. He made sure to bring it from the old house, even though it barely works anymore. The Orioles are down by nine in the fifth, and Chuck Thompson is telling us about the outfielders, how they're pacing in slow circles in the outfield grass, trying to stay active, even though the game is well out of reach. My dad looks at me when Chuck says this. Did you hear that, he says? Isn't that just the greatest thing? He doesn't say anything else. But in that moment, I feel something change. I'm not just his son anymore. I'm someone who can hear what he hears. Or at least, he seems to think I am. So I nod and smile. But the truth is, I hear Chuck talking about guys walking in circles... Greatness? I don't hear that. All I know is that it's in there, somewhere. The key to impressing my dad. It's buried in the depths of Chuck Thompson's gentle baritone. There's a little red dot in the corner. That's good. That's a good sign. (laughs) I'm 40 years old. And one afternoon this past December, I call my dad to see if he remembers a passing comment from a play-by-play guy almost 30 years ago. He was describing the outfielders aimlessly walking in slow circles. Do Mm -hmm. you have any memory of this? No. Clearly, that moment does not loom as large in his memory as it does in mine. But I know it happened. From Wondery, 
and Meadowlark Media in association with Campside Media. This is Sports Explains the World. I'm Sam Dingman. This week, my decades-long quest to understand the meaning of greatness, at least to my dad. Today on the show, good company. <laughs> 